as the disrespect continues, let's talk a little bit about Arizona State since they keep getting popped up in a potential loss. And more importantly, the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, decided to open his mouth and it came out kind of stanky. You are Locked On Oklahoma State, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, y'all, and hello, all. Welcome back to Locked On Oklahoma State, your daily stop for all things cowboy and cowgirl related. My name is Cody Stovall. I want to thank you kindly for stopping by to make this your first listen here on Locked On Oklahoma State. Of course, you already know we're available on every single podcasting platform, and we're back to being visually accessible on YouTube. If you want to look at this beautiful, majestic beard of mine, I'm rocking. Most importantly, make sure you follow me on Twitter at All Day O State. All right, so. Today, we're just going to jump into it, right? We seem to cover a lot of these Oklahoma State schedule previews from from other places. We've gone over the schedule pretty good, right? We know we're going to hammer the over. And SG1 is the latest to do their predictions on Oklahoma State. So we're going to cover that a little bit because there is, again, some, um, I don't know, misinformation, I guess you could say, potentially being floated around by some of these, these individuals. So we'll just talk about that first, right? So uh, shout out to SG1 Sports. They usually do a pretty good job, but this was a lazy take. I just call it like it is. And the reason I say that is because a lot of the the losses and even some of the wins he predicted to be high-flying, massive shootouts, right? He kept referring to the traditional Oklahoma State high-flying offense and how we're going to have to outscore our opponents this season because our defense is going to be slightly sketchy. Now, well, we're going to unpack that in a minute, but let's go over his predictions, all right? Obviously, he has us winning at Central Arkansas. I got to give him props. He does have us beating Arizona State in Tempe. He did say pretty much barely, right? It won't be a crazy high-scoring affair. Uh, and then he has us beating South Alabama. As I've said before, South Alabama is pretty good. We'll cover them in, in a later episode, so you kind of know what I'm, what I'm talking about. And then he has us losing to Iowa State. There's a theme here. Stay with me. Then he has us losing uh, Kansas State at home. That one I buy, right? K-State should be the leader in the clubhouse going into this season. They didn't. I know they lost a few guys that were instrumental in their success, but they did pretty good in the transfer market. Their quarterback was somebody they found underneath a pile of rubble that ended up being a, a, a piece of gold. They've never, ever had an issue running the football, right? That has never been a problem at Kansas State, especially now when you have to con- consider that they have Colin Klein as the OC. This is his bread and butter. Will Howard is his cup of taters. I expect K-State to do a lot, okay? He has his beating Kansas, okay? That's fine. He says it's because it's going to be at home. He also said it's not going to be another high-flying affair, right? You're talking 50s, 60s type of game because of the offensive firepower of Jalen Daniels. As we've discussed, I don't agree there at all. I mean, I do agree that Kansas' offense is high-flying. I do agree that Kansas' offense is capable of putting up 50-60, but with our style of offense, and what I think is going to be our speed and athleticism 
that should equal more capabilities defensively. I just I think we're going to slow the game down enough that we limit Jalen Daniels' opportunities to get the ball. And if you can do that, probably squeak out a win here. Then he has us losing to West Virginia in Morgantown. Uh, okay. Uh, then he has us beating Cincinnati, as we should. It's homecoming. It's gonna it's, it's gonna be a pretty pretty cool deal having their first year in the Big Twelve coming to Stillwater for homecoming. That's pretty legit. And then you ready? He has us beating OU. Okay. Well, good job. And then he has us turning around and losing to UCF at the bounce house. And then we lose again to Houston at Houston. And then we squeak by a win the end of the season against BYU. So I don't even need to speak on some of the ridiculousness here, but we're going to, because that's what we're doing in this little dance here. South Alabama will be a much tougher test than most people think. It might even be a tougher test than Iowa State. It's true. I'm not a Hunter Decker's believer. I wanted to be, but from what I could see last year, it's pretty crazy, right? He's like uh, Taylor, Taylor Cornelius without that extra added talent. He throws a couple good balls, and then he throws balls in the middle of nowhere where there's literally nobody on his team anywhere near the ball. That's usually not good. Could he develop very quickly? Yeah, he could. But I haven't seen it, right? Again, we've talked about K-State. I get it. I'm tracking. We should, in theory, lose that game. Could we win because it's going to be a slugfest? Not a offensive, high-powered, crazy fest. It's going to be a punch you in the mouth, punch you in the nose, sock you in the throat over and over and over style of game. It's going to be a fun one to watch. But until we see kind of what we got working with on the field, I have to tip the cap here to K-State. KU, we just covered that one. Losing at West Virginia in Morgantown. If they're like 6-1 and one, and it's a nighttime game and it gets crazy as I'll get out, then okay, I could see this as a possibility. But we have answers for Garrett Green. We have answers for Nico Marchio. Regardless of whichever way they decide to go, their running game is not going to be bad, but it's not as good as it has been traditionally. I just, I don't see it. I do not see how you can pick us losing that game. I also darn sure don't see how you can pick us losing to Iowa State that early in the season. Typically, our nemesis against Iowa State is later in the season. You get them early, especially if it's in Ames, fine. Like, we're, we're happy with that. Cincinnati, sure. OU, as much as I do think that we're going to have a stake to claim here because the last time we were told that it was the last Bedlam in Boone Pickens Stadium, well, that worked out very, very well for us in 2021. You could feel the difference in the energy of the crowd. Like, the whole town was electric all day. From the minute you woke up, you could sense it, you could feel it. It was just different. And it mattered a little bit more, and we played that way, and we got the W against the, the future Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Caleb Williams. So if both teams are pretty good, and we have the one and two easiest schedules in the conference, this game should be a big-time matchup. This game should be against two top 10, top 15 teams. And if that's the case, and you can repeat 2021, then I could see getting a W here. But until we see what we have on the field again, 
I would consider K-State and OU losses, right, until we can prove otherwise. Losing to UCF at the bounce house this late in the season after their roster is banged up and they don't have the two deep to darn near compete anyways, I don't think so. Again, a high-flying affair. No, it's not going to be that. We're not the offense of 2011. We're not the offense of 2013. We're not an offense of 2017, 2018, 2019. That's not our identity. So that's what I said earlier. It's a lazy take. It is a lazy take because you're not doing a lot of research if you think that Oklahoma State is going to go out here and try to put up 50, 60 points a game. That's not who we are anymore. And then the disrespect we have defensively, it's great bulletin board material, so we need to keep throwing it up on the daggone bulletin board. Everyone on defense should see what people nationally think about their possibilities this year. Just because we lost Mason Cobb? Like, he's good. Yeah, great. But what are we doing? Like, I just, uh, we lost a couple guys to the NFL? Sure. But this is a time where the transfer market is going to be very beneficial. Losing to Houston at Houston, again, it's the same thing. This late in the season with a banged up two deep and a two deep that's not quite ready for what they're going to experience. They're not ready for the big hog mollies up front. No, no, it's not. It's not going to be a high-flying crazy game that we lose. I just don't see it. I would see us potentially losing to BYU at the end of the season. I could see that. I cannot see losing to Houston. There's just, I just, I don't, ah. And I'll be at that game. So, like, I'll be cheering my face off, but I just don't see it. I don't get it, right? Let me let me know down in the comment section where I'm wrong, right? if I'm crazy, whatever. Go ahead. You are possibly crazy, or you know somebody that's possibly crazy if you haven't got hooked up with FanDuel yet. Ladies and gentlemen, we're full swing in the baseball season. You know I love me some baseball. I love traveling. I love the events, the camaraderie, all of that fun jazz. Baseball is just a different animal when it comes to support, building team chemistry, and traveling, right? And while we're here, do yourself a favor and go bet with FanDuel. It's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Go there now to get yourself hooked up. Right now, we're going up to $200 back in bonus bets, win or lose, right? So if you bet $20 holla, bet a $20 holla, you're going to get $200 back in bonus points, whether you win the daggone bet or you lose the daggone bet. It doesn't matter, which makes it a win-win, almost the definition of a win-win. So make sure you get yourself hooked up right now. It's safe, secure, super easy to use. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get yourself squared away right here, right now, today. Again, that is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Join FanDuel if you haven't already. If you know a crazy person, help them out. If you don't know a crazy person, help them get crazy money. Hammer the over for Oklahoma State University. All right, y'all. So as you see, the next Dilly Mahabi in the ticker is ASU's chances. Now. This SG1 sports gentleman, he gave us the W against Arizona State. But there's plenty of publications, prognostications, or punditry out there that are saying the opposite. Like we were saying to lose to Arizona State. We even got some Oklahoma State fans that are pretty tied into, you know, being involved at least that think that we could easily start the season two and two, one of those losses obviously being to Arizona State. Um, okay. All right. So I promised y'all a little bit of a breakdown on Arizona state at some point in time. Well, here we are promise and deliver. Arizona state 
has kind of followed the Oklahoma State path, right? When we went and got Mike Gundy, he was young and uh, slightly, you know, he was actually way more inexperienced than Kenny Dillingham. Kenny Dillingham is an Arizona guy from Scottsdale, went to Chaparral High School. And for those who follow football, Chaparral typically puts out a lot of big-time players on a pretty consistent basis. But we talk all the time about how Brian Nardo had a very unique climb to get to where he's at right now. His climb through the coaching ranks was pretty unique. Well, so was Kenny Dillingham's. Kenny Dillingham was the junior varsity coach at Chaparral High School while he was playing for Chaparral High School. Like, uh, that's pretty daggone cool. And then he became the OC at Chaparral High School after he graduated, 2013. Then he became an offensive assistant at Arizona State after he graduated from Arizona State under Todd Graham. Following that, he went to uh, Memphis with Mike Norvell, worked his way up to OC, then took his talents at OC to Auburn, worked under Gus Malzahn, had a phenomenal, phenomenal transitional period with Bo Nix, put Bo Nix on the map, right, from a statistical perspective. Offensively, Auburn was doing a lot of really good things. It's ironic, yes, that he got to learn under Gus Malzahn. Now Gus Malzahn's at, at UCF. And in the Big 12, Gus Malzahn's a good coach. UCF is going to get it together eventually. Um, but uh, back to Kenny Dillingham, he goes back to follow Mike Norvell as the OC at Florida State before rejoining Bo Nix as the offensive coordinator at Oregon, and it was very successful. Like, you know, I like to throw a lot of shade at Oregon. Not a big Oregon fan. I just think that the people there are, um, yeah, a little, a little wild, a little out of control, a little disrespectful, but it is what it is. Uh, you cannot say that Oregon didn't have one of the best offenses in the country last year from a statistical perspective, analytically. All of the, the measurements that you want to look at, they did very good. Now, Bo Nix had a couple of games where it made you scratch your head, but that just seems to be him, right? Bo Nix is a Spencer Sanders type of dude. He does crazy cool stuff that, that get on SportsCenter, ESPN, top 10, and then he does some very boneheaded stuff that, that leaves you wondering what in tarnation is going on. And now he's back. And if you watched his, his press conference, like, yeah, he was a bumbling, crying mess. He was. But you can tell that he loves Arizona State. This is where he wants to be. This is his dream job. When he says he's home, he means it. And, and guys, let's face it. Arizona State's gone through a lot of people. Uh, Todd Graham had some success, right? He showed what Arizona State could potentially be. He didn't get it done. Dennis Harrison didn't get it done. Herm Edwards couldn't get it done. Dirk Cutter didn't get it done. And yes, that's a connection for O-State fans. If you all recall, Dirk Cutter was the Oklahoma State University head coach for like two days. And then he bounced, took the Arizona State job, and then we brought in Mike Gundy, right? And he didn't do anything. Herm Edwards was on to something, right? He wanted to have this professional NFL style of identity, NFL style of staff, and it worked. They had back-to-back -to -back top 25 recruiting classes. They were building something, but when you lose 40, 50, 60 some odd players over a couple of year span and you have a bunch of negativity, you have a bunch of stuff going on, a bunch of turmoil and the AD being confused on what he wants to do and how he's standing behind Herb Edwards when this is going on and yada, 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 yada. There's just a lot of turmoil that happened in Tempe last year. But as we mentioned, Todd Graham was the only one of the bunch to really, you know, take them to different heights. And ironically enough, uh, Coach Kenny Dillingham was on that staff. So, again, he has seen the pinnacle of what it could potentially be. And he was there early on.
So I do like Kenny Dillingham, and I do think that they are going down the same path that Mike Gundy kind of has taken. But you've heard this, uh, you know, it's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes. I mean, you can put players in positions to be more successful than they've ever been before. So, yeah, you have to have the dudes to pull it off. But anyone says that you can't scheme your way around people's people's talents and abilities. That's just, uh, yeah, that's just a nearsighted thinking, right? You can. You can schematically get by with not having the same or the same guys as everybody else. Just like we talked about the old high-flying offense in Stillwater was because we didn't have the big guys up front to do what Mike Gundy wanted to do. We got a little bit too far away from that old school sock you in the mouth, show up every day with your lunch pail, ready to work, ready to go to war mentality. We got away from that a little bit, got a little bit cutesy-tootsy, and uh, now we're back. Like We're, we're very interested to see how the season is going to go. I think it's going to go very, very well. Yeah, the schedule helps a lot. You've heard me say it 33,000 times from my regulars, or as I like to say, my regulators out there. But let's talk about the Jimmys and the Joes, all right? We'll get off the X's and the O's side of things. They have a, a really good wide receiver in Elijah Badger, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about their their quarterback situation now. Jalen Connors, tight end, transfer from OU. He's a big time yards after catch or yards after contact guy. Over half of his yards last season came after contact, and he had the most receiving yards for a tight end at Arizona State since guess when? 2013, when Todd Graham and Kenny Dillingham were there and actually had something cooking with Chris Coyle as their tight end as a main part of the offensive identity back then. You know, he forced the most amount of tackles in all of the FBS. The absolute most. (coughs) Sorry, had a coffin fit there. Thank you for bearing with me there for a second. But, um, yeah, so <clears throat> I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback, right? That's my biggest question for them. <laughs> because if Trenton Borgett is the starter, right, at 5'11", 180, 85 pounds, they might have a, a, a an off year. <clears throat> he appeared in seven games, started in five, on a horrendous team with a bunch of turmoil. He did throw for 435 against Colorado and 376 against Arizona uh, during their Territorial Cup showdown. (coughs) Goodness me. Uh, I am a believer in Drew Pine, four-star quarterback, six-foot, 200-pound, transfer from Notre Dame. He should be the guy before they, they play Oklahoma State, but he might not be. He might be the guy after that game. I think he will be after that game, but he led Notre Dame to an eight and two record as a starter, including going four and one in top 25 games. He finished top 20 nationally in quarterback efficiency, and he had the most touchdowns thrown for a starter making his road debut at Notre Dame since 1994. I do think that he can do some things. And then if you keep going down the line, uh, a lot of people in Tempe are very excited about Jaden Rashada. And, you know, we love to get lost in film sometimes. He's somebody, if you want to go get lost in film, you could definitely do so. Six foot four, 185 pound, elite 11, Under Armour, All-American, consensus top four. 
uh, top four, five star, or top, oh, my Atlanta words are hard, consensus, four star. And he's top five rated recruit in all of Arizona State's history. Ridiculous arm talent. He can use his big frame to chuck it 70 yards darn near standing still. Has a very good understanding of what's coming and an even better ability to make the D pay for certain blitz packages, right? On the defensive side of the ball, I think uh, uh, Prince Adorba, Richard Jr., another high school All-American. He was a backup linebacker at Texas for three years, right? And now they're going to be asking him to do a lot immediately. He's already penciled in as a starter. So, you know, maybe they'll have something cooking there for the, for a good defensive end. Deshaun Mallory, six foot two, 280-pound transfer from Michigan State. Uh, yeah, he's going to be a decent nose tackle, but he's no match for somebody like a Justin Kirkland. And our offensive line has been dealing with Justin Kirkland this entire spring, this entire offseason. So you cannot tell me they're not going to be pre- prepared for somebody like that all day, every day, not even a, a match for Justin Kirkland, right? So our O-line is going to be more than prepared for this. Uh, the other defensive end spot, Clayton Smith, a transfer from OU, six foot four, 215 pounds, didn't get a lot of PT, but was a legit five-star guy with loads of talent. And if he figures it out, he will be extremely difficult to stop. He got a little PT last year with OU, but but not a lot. <laughs> But, you know, the, the talent there is, is amazing. Uh, safety room, Xavion Alford, six foot, 190-pound corner, bounced around from USC to Texas, and now he's obviously at, at Arizona State. He missed 2022 with an injury, but he was a legitimate strong safety for Texas. Played in quite a few games, and it was another high school All-American. Shamari Simmons ain't bad. Another corner from Hutch, Hutchinson Community College in Kansas. Not bad, but I, I, I don't know that he's going to be able to slow down some of what we have at the wide receiver room, right? I, I don't see it happening. I think uh, Tristan Monday, transfer from Wisconsin, a six foot four, two hundred eighty five pound nose tackle. He might be more suited than Deshaun Mallory to give a better representation of what you're going to need to control somebody like a Justin Kirkland. So again, at that position, our offensive line is going to be pretty squared away and ready. But uh, another theme you see here is he's from Scottsdale, right? And he could be pretty daggone good. We're just too prepared at that spot to have anybody in their roster give us a bunch of issues there. Um, and, you know, he's a registered freshman. You know, he has time to develop. Now, the linebacker, a little bit of a story. I think Tate Romney at 6'3", 220, another guy from Arizona, Chandler, Arizona, Transferred in from BYU. Well, that's a pretty big deal, right? And he was the 6A Arizona varsity linebacker of the year after putting up a crazy 272 tackles and winning three straight state titles. The big one for me here on this guy is both of his brothers played at BYU. And he went to BYU. And now, somehow, Coach Kenny Dillingham has convinced him to come to Arizona State and make a difference. That has to mean something. But again, he's only a redshirt freshman. Uh, Roman Rashada, cornerback uh, transfer from Ole Miss, could be a good get, right? He could be beneficial immediately, but you do have to wonder why he went from Ole Miss to Diablo Valley College 
and then Arizona State. Did he take a dip because of scholastics? Did he take a dip because of injury? Or did he take a dip down at the Abo Valley because he wasn't ready for Division One football? Or he just couldn't get suited to the game? We don't know, and they don't know either, right? That, that seems to be part of the problem for me whenever you're talking about Arizona State potentially beating Oklahoma State this upcoming season. <laughs> don't know how anybody can look at what they went through, look at the amount of people they lost, and then be super excited. Yeah, I think can I can Dylan Coach Dylan him is awesome. All right, I do, I really do, but they don't have enough horses in the barn to compete for four quarters. That's my synopsis. And then the last thing on the deal with hobby you see there is Greg Sankey got a little stanky with his mouth. He pulled a Paul Feinbaum, the mouth breathing buffoon himself. He took a note, and he used it. And he has now decided, this time next year, to officially right kick off OU in Texas being in the SEC. They're doing their Big 12 media days in Dallas. And he's talking about how the SEC is going to light up the sky with their logos, and they're going to take over Texas for this event. Okay, that's a shot across the bow, which is odd, isn't it? Why is the SEC, the all-powerful Greg Sankey, why does he give 13 craps about the Big 12 media days? He shouldn't, should he? He shouldn't be catering to Texas already, should he? Is is the 40 acres going to draw as much bull honky in the SEC as it did in the Big 12? I didn't think so. I didn't think that was possible. With the the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Floridas of the world, like I I don't I don't know what we're doing here. So, this is not this is probably not catering to Texas specifically. It might be. But I think this is more a shot to the Big 12 on purpose because he knows that Brett Yormark is a problem. Brett Yormark is going to be an issue for every commissioner. The innovation from Brett Yormark is amazing. He's doing things that other commissioners aren't do, aren't doing, haven't done, and haven't even thought of doing. I think Greg Sankey realizes that. There's not a lot of opportunities that need to be taken by the SEC to try to muscle in on something the Big 12's doing. So if this is what they're doing, it's because they view Brett Yormark as a threat. Like, that's it. They could stay in Nashville, and they could cater to all of their schools, and then just make OU in Texas jump in line. But instead, they're not doing that. Instead, all of a sudden, they're going to try to roll out this big, crazy, fancy, fun thing in Dallas around the same time as Big 12 Media Days and the Major League All-Star Game. So this time next year will be interesting. Right? Your natural inclination would lead you to believe that the SEC is going to take over. That seems to be their uh, idea. It seems to be their intention, and it might work. They're the SEC, right? They do carry a big stick, but they also talk a lot too. 
and I'm sure all of us have heard at some point in time in our lives that talk is cheap. And Greg, Greg Sankey, he's been at the forefront of a lot of stuff, but recently I've just been hearing him bump his gums for no reason. He's trying to get his George Klyovkov on, I guess. I don't know. But, anybody who, that's all we're going to have for this one. Thank you all very much for tuning in to make this your first listen here at Lock on Oklahoma State. I love you. God bless you. Later, taters.